Hello, everybody, and welcome to uh, Jesus is Risen, Hallelujah, Woo-hoo-hoo! Easter week the episode angry. of Ignite Radio Live. Over the five mighty stations for the Almighty of Annunciation Radio, you are with Greg <laughs> and Stephanie Schleter, and kind of a special guest near and dear to our hearts. I'd agree Another with that. Another Schleter. Indeed. Welcome, Joseph. How are you? I am uh, blessed and highly favored to be on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you are. Well, it is awesome to have you with us, Joseph. Before we do a deep dive into the meaningful moments of a couple weeks ago at Damascus campus, which is transforming the world through making uh, passionate disciples of Jesus Christ, Centerburg, Ohio, believe it or not, we tag the name Catholic onto this, the fullness of the faith, and it's uh, definitely becoming an occasion reverberating beyond that territory going into Minnesota. I'm already getting ahead of myself and saying too much, but Joseph is anchored there in Damascus, and he led a worship workshop with Meredith of the Upper Room, uh, who's known throughout the world, and just a beautiful heart, and making these great connections with those uh, who are very gifted beyond specifically the Catholic Church, but as Augustine said, all that is true is ours. So before we unpack that and kind of go to that great moment in the concert, if you will, not concert, the worship event, the outpouring that punctuated those four or five days of the worship workshop, Joseph, catch us up to speed on a snapshot of what you're doing in general right now. Actually, before you catch us up, why don't you give us a little bit of background as to who you are? Yeah, so I am the uh, I'm the least of the children of Schleter <laughs> and second oldest of um, of six, belonging to the Gregory and Stephanie Schleter world-renowned Clan, famous tribe revivalists in the uh, United Woo-hoo. States and beyond. And um, yeah, a little bit about myself. I was a um, I uh, read high school, felt called to serve on the mission of Damascus in Ohio. I'm right in the middle of Ohio. Uh, where we just we want to bring revival to the church in America, and we do it through um, different programs we have and different events, and um, and just by uh, forming missionary disciples. It's been really cool to be there, and uh, I recently got hired um, as of last May, so about a year ago, I got hired as a worship coordinator um, because the Lord was just really, really moving and blessing um, our worship here. Uh, we kind of have a phrase that we don't want to do something and then ask God to bless it, but we want to see what God is blessing and then we mm. want to get behind it. Love that. And um, and we saw the Lord is really blessing our worship, that there was a lot of um, impact happening uh, during our times of worship and, and a lot of just um, really awesome, neat things happening. And so um, we just really felt called to, as, as an organization, begin to more and more invest in our worship. Um, so I was hired as worship coordinator and uh, we released an album um, from that. And it's been a year of just really developing our worship culture, developing our worship initiative, and really just kind of seeking God's heart for what he has for the future of Damascus worship. That is really awesome, Joseph. You're sharing with many of our audience terms that they may be hearing right now the first time. We grew up maybe with this, but worship culture and just using the word worship, many associate that just with of course, the source and summit of all of life is the liturgy, the Eucharist, and Jesus' prayer to the Father in heaven from which all things flow. But you're speaking of worship in the fullest sense of, of life and our relationship with God. Just say a word, what you, what you mean when you say worship and worship culture, and maybe particularly to us Catholics. Yeah, so worship, worship is essentially what we give worth to. Um, and uh, it comes from the same. It comes from the same root word as worth. And um, 
we all we're all worshiping something all the time because we're all giving worth to something during any given moment, and uh, and that's why worship isn't just a, it's just not it's not just a moment at mass or a moment mm. at uh, in adoration or a moment singing a song. It really is a lifestyle because at every moment we're giving we're giving worship to something. Mm. At every moment we're, we're we're pouring ourselves out for something, whether that be ourselves, our sports, our our phones, our our media, our politics, whatever it is. Um, we're all we're all choosing to worship something. Um, <clears throat> so worship in, in, in its fullest sense is giving glory and worth to, to God. And so worship is really ingrained in our DNA back to, uh, dad, one of your, one of the earliest events we ran made to worship, right? We had these events called made to worship. It's, mm-hmm. but that's, that's the summary of who we are. We were made to worship. Why? Cause worship is, is giving of yourself. And, and it's like Pope John Paul II said, like you can't find yourself except through a gift of yourself mm-hmm. and worship is a full expression of a gift of yourself to God. And in doing that, we actually begin to discover who we are. So worship is really, really neat because it's, it's this, it's aligning with who we are made to be and giving God priority. It's essentially just ministering to God's heart. It's allowing ourselves to do what we were created for and, and, and give him glory. And so creating a worship culture is really just identifying what does a culture that worships look like. It's not just moments of like the hour times of worship we have on Monday mornings, but it's a lifestyle where every moment we are, the way in which we spend our time is giving the Lord highest priority. So I want to throw down, I appreciate that and resonate and I'm blessed by it. And I think it is so true. I just want to throw down for us Catholics listening right now that we are so blessed with such a rich liturgical culture that we grew up with and a fullness of faith that one of the strongholds, so Ephesians 6 and other places speak of strongholds. How might the enemy, you know, if you will, find ways to twist and pervert and cause us to be deprived of the grace. I think one of the strongholds is sort of a sacramental sufficiency or a liturgical sufficiency. What is that? It's where we think, hey, I'm good. I go to Mass. We pray the rosary once in a while. We have these moments, these dots. And you're, you're, you know, you're challenging us or communicating a truth that God desires more than a connect-the-dot portrait of our homes, but a flush Rembrandt, something full. And just if you don't mind, Joseph, of course, you're experiencing this. You're living it out in Damascus with your, you know, those you're living with and, and uh, witnessing with and ministering with. Just give a brief portrait of what might that look like for the average Catholic family? How might they just take a step, and what is the value? What difference might they see if they foster that in their homes? Sure. So I think one of the, the cool testimony of that is we've started doing infrequent um, nights of worship in people's living rooms. So we're just called living room worship. And we'll have different families bring us in. And uh, we will just we'll just put on like a night of worship just for families. You know, you have about twenty to thirty people there, mm-hmm. um, just families, young kids, whatever it is. And at the end of every night, we'll conclude and we'll just ask, like, you know, who who you're having had an encounter with the Lord, and you know, people raise their hand, and we'll just we'll just make the statement, like, look, you guys can do this anytime. Mm-hmm. It's not hard. Like maybe none of you play instruments, but you guys can actually. You, you can go old school. Old school. You can you know turn on some music and worship together. Make that part of your prayer. Sounds kind of awkward. Those listening might be kind of like, nope, that that couldn't happen to me, <laughs> you know. But they're like, this is this is what I mean. You look at the the ancient Israelites, or like around Jesus's time. That's what they did. They got together and they like sang songs together. And you know, Paul talks about it in his letters about like addressing each other in spiritual psalms and like making worship, like actually sung worship, a part of your life. It's I think it's a big culture shift from what we'd be used to or comfortable with. Um, 
But we, if you look at the culture right now, it's not exactly a thing that most people would be excited about. So right, why not right. shift the culture, you know? Amen. If there's something we don't like in the culture right now, maybe it's because we're not doing something that we should be doing. Mm. And maybe that thing is actually worshiping together as families. I mean, think about it. Like, you guys know because we, we would do in our house. We'd worship together. But I think for, for you know, anyone listening, think about what your house might look like if, <laughs> if worshiping Jesus was something you did. Again, probably really uncomfortable thought for most people listening. But I want you to imagine, you know, what that actually might do for your family, what it might do for your house. Maybe we're not comfortable worshiping in our house together, but let's go to places where we can make that apart. Let's mm-hmm. go to a worship night. And, and then all of a sudden you have a, a familiar language that you can all speak. You have a familiar experience that you can all um, be brought from. And then and then you make it apart. And we've seen families do that. And it's just been really cool um, in a family context that, like, worship is actually – a really important thing that I, I really believe it's again uncomfortable as it might be mm. you know but if that was actually a part of your life you'd be we would be living out what we were made for because we again we were made to worship mm-hmm. and if we're depriving ourselves our families our community of the opportunity to worship together then we're depriving each other of what we were actually created for again worship is part of a lifestyle so it's not just contained to songs right it's we worship in the way that we do the dishes. We worship in the way that we have intentional conversations with one another. But the truth, again, going back to it, Jesus chose musicians and, and singers to be closest to him. There's still that aspect of worship that's so important about having a song, having something to gather around to sing in that way, that music connects everyone. That is awesome. Um, and I can just say in our home, having lived on the water many places, I have the metaphor of a sailboat in mind. Worship is kind of opening that door to receive that breath of life, to blow in those sails. And and when you do it together, right, it just moves us all from a, I'll just say often, you know, Joseph, in our home, from a culture of grump <laughs> to a culture of glory. I mean, there is resistance. There is pushback. Parents or kids, oh, I don't want to do this or I'm into this or that. But when you bring them together and you certainly break through with apologies and forgivenesses and you find that place where you do this and you, you take the risk and you enter into worship and it's not about us, uh, you feel the, the the breath of God's love blow into our sails. Right. Well, and I think worship too is one of the biggest things that breaks off um, fear of man, right? Because I think, you know, we all have in our minds and our hearts, we have a fear of what other people think of us. Mm-hmm. So imagine worshiping together as a family. The most thing you'd be uncomfortable with is, okay, what do my kids think about me? What do my parents think about me? What do my siblings think about me? Mm-hmm. But when you actually worship, then all of a sudden, and you step into it, then like you're actually taking a step to overcome fear of what other people think of you, which is such a big thing mm-hmm. in our day and age. And so when you're worshiping together, you're, you're breaking that fear. And the thing that I would say too is I think oftentimes the biggest obstacle to change happening is us when it comes to um, what we fear and what we like. Like for example, I was – I have the I have the um, the privilege of running a a book study with the the first year missionaries at Damascus, and we we're talking about what it means like actually call each other on, how to actually help like do a healthy confrontation mm-hmm. and call each other on when we see people not living up to what we what we want to live to, and we we're talking about the struggles in actually calling people on and different people are sharing different perspectives and I just had them like raise I just had them like throw up fingers I'm like on a scale of one to ten. How comfortable are you calling on people that you live with? Hmm. And I, I'd say probably the medium answer was about four or five. Hmm. They're about out of ten. They're like, how am I comfortable calling people on? And I said, okay, now scale of one to ten, how much do you actually want to be called on? Hmm. And it was always nine or ten. Hmm. You know. And I think it's a similar thing with whether it be prayer or worship or talking as a family. I bet if you're really honest with people and you said on a scale of one to ten, 
how comfortable would you be initiating that? You probably get a four or five, right? If not lower. Um, but if you ask them on a scale of one to 10, how much do you want this? Mm-hmm. It's probably going to be nines or tens. Great eye opener. You know, all around. And so it's like, okay, great. You're the problem <laughs> in the nicest way possible. Like you're actually part of the problem because everyone wants this, but you being afraid of how people receive it are the biggest obstacle to it. Amen. Just a little aside, picturing worshiping as families. I think also something that I want to proclaim is that worship helps to heal, right? Mm -hmm. So Greg, you mentioned going from grump to glory. You know, sometimes (laughs) you, I mean, you were referring to, I believe, just the resistance that um, resistance (laughs) that is experienced sometimes. But um, I think just as importantly, you know, once and again, you got to step into it. You have to, you know, bring a sincere heart and a surrender. But just the beauty as a family to do that, whether it's if there was some tension between husband and wife or mother and son or, you know, brother and sister or, you know, whatever the the family dynamic is, like you just, if you allow yourself to enter in, it's amazing on the other side, the healing that mm-hmm. takes place relationally. And right. so just the grace that is there that the Lord offers us and desires us to embrace is so powerful. And if we like proclaim that truth and like truly believed it, right? Like what's holding us back? And Joseph, I love also, as you know, we're always talking about, you know, revival is where you're at and, you know, just kind of the whole extraordinary and the ordinary, but just, you know, like every moment in particular in family life, right, is, can be claimed as a moment of worship. You know, you said doing the dishes or doing this or doing that. And I just want to throw a, a, encouragement or challenge out to parents to really um, edify that truth in the formation of your children, you know, by Mm. your example, by, by teaching them, you know, that that is what this is. And um, Mm. so thank you for that beautiful reminder. So let's go back now that we've talked about worship, which we love to speak about and encouraging parents to discover what a culture of worship is like. And the only thing I would add to this is sometimes this Niagara Falls of grace that God wants to flood us with has these logs of apology and forgiveness. And sometimes it is simply parents stepping back and acknowledging ways that we have contributed to debris, to stuff in the way, and ask our children, what do I need to apologize for if we don't know it already? How can we reconcile? What are some areas here to get rid of whatever may be in the way to allow our souls to fully lift our hearts up together to God and worship? And it's a constant struggle, right? It's a constant call to do this. So Joseph, a number of years ago, you're now 21. Congratulations. You had your first legal wine cooler, I think, perhaps, (laughs) uh, I don't know, December. A couple months ago. (laughs) So um, if we looked at YouTube, for instance, we'd see some classical Schleter videos going back to Live It days, Live It video days, where you were leading uh, worship and playing music. And of course, mom and I recall the working net out in the basement. We had the nice speaker sound system because we're guys. There's something awesome about being able to play into speakers with music. And I saw that evolution. And then, of course, the the awesome uh, leadership you had of bringing peers into our house, sometimes 50 or 60 every single week. And you and John Paul were leading with 
with other awesome other leaders. We will mention the beloved Robert Kelly so that I get a little smile out of your mom. Anyways, um, the favored son. Did I say that aloud on air? Anyways, uh, so you guys had that culture. So you were presiding as teenagers over a culture and recognizing that kids are yearning for this. They're desiring this and you're bringing your guitar to that also. We have some film of that. Somewhere along the way, you made your way to Damascus and you were just a participant. And then, so just give us a brief tracing of that, uh, if you will, tapping of the gift and the maturing of it up to present day. Worship, leading worship was something that was really new and it kind of started. It started when I was leading, you know, these these lit groups in our in our home. And I remember there's one one week where I, I just recently picked up the guitar and and I kind of felt like the Lord prompting me to like lead um, <laughs> during during our lit group, and I initially felt really uncomfortable because I'm like, literally, it feels like me picking up a guitar and forcing people to like hear me sing. <laughs> I was like, that's the most prideful thing ever. So I like didn't want to do it. You homeschooled kid, you. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess we're gonna have to. And um, I did it, and there's like, we. I mean, at that point, we had probably like seven, eight people there, so it was even more awkward. Um, but like, I remember hearing like, it's it one I felt it in the atmosphere. It was like, just different. And, and even just like some people sharing about it. And so it became a regular part of what we did. And that's really kind of where I began to to start to grow in worship and get comfortable leading, you know, especially we didn't have like a screen or anything. So it was like, okay, leading with like without having lyrics and, mm-hmm. and, um, and just from the heart, just like doing it. And, you know, most weeks, you know, you probably have about, you know, 50% of people are actually singing and another maybe, you know, out of, the, out of that 50%, you have maybe 10% who are like actually like into it. Um, but you know, you just keep doing it. You keep worshiping the Lord, and, and He really grew a lot in me during that time. And hmm. and I ended up um, being a missionary going into my senior year, summer missionary at CYSC Catholic Youth Summer Camp, the uh, where, which is the summer camp of Damascus. Um, and I uh, came in as a counselor, but ended up um, my second week there just being called up to lead worship. Um, and worship was a big thing at at CYSC. Um, it was a uh, it was not like it wasn't like a small deal like leading in your basement for a youth group, <laughs> and um, and I remember you know Aaron Richards, the director at CYSC, and he pulled me aside and our worship leader was gone, and Aaron typically leads when he's gone, but Aaron was going to be gone too, and he he just said like, hey, I, there's a lot of other people I could have asked, but I just really felt called to ask you, and mm. he had never heard me lead before. Ever wow, once. <laughs> um, really? It was a, yeah, it was a big risk. I, he played he played. Um, Aaron led for our, our training week, and I kind of he kind of had me um, join him. But I was just playing guitar mm-hmm. alongside him, no microphone. It was just really really simple. He never really seen me lead, um, so it was a really big risk that he took. But he just felt called to do it. And um, that go week, Aaron. Yeah, I know. Um, that week it was just really cool because um, I just I learned so much. I remember every week coming up to that stage and uh, being kind of nervous and and really like questioning like okay do i do i belong here you know i'm the like youngest missionary here i wasn't even supposed to be here this summer mm. um and uh, now i'm on stage leading like one of the biggest things that we have here um like do i really like wanting to prove myself you know i'm like i believe in myself like like will i do will others believe in me you know mm-hmm. um but coming up every night and on the music stand been apparently i've been there forever but it was just taped this simple phrase and it just said audience of one love that and uh and so going up there and just you know seeing that and you know okay you're right like it's not actually for these people it's it's for jesus because worship isn't about each other it's about the lord um otherwise if we make it about each other then we're worshiping each other and that's mm-hmm. not going to help at all 
So, um, yeah, just going up there and really experiencing the growth there and, and really allowing the spirit of performance where, like, you know, where it was about initially about, you know, trying to prove something or trying to be liked or trying to be admired to just simply, like, I'm going to worship Jesus and not care about what happens. Mm -hmm. um, there was just something that broke out that week that was really, really special. And people just began to worship in a new way. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, then coming to Damascus and just continuing to learn, continuing to, to dive in and, and worship is more about what happens off stage than what happens on stage. And that's why, um, you know, being a missionary and, you know, I think I've shared this before on the show, but like cleaning toilets, mm. and leading small groups and, you know, having not a lot of free time and just like really just ha living a day, living a life and just complete surrender and sacrifice where I wasn't really in control of most of what I was doing. Um, that's the kind of stuff that builds your heart to worship authentically. I love that. Because then it's not about it's not about a platform. It's not about the applause. It's not about getting people to sing and having a loud sound in the room. It's like it really it, it really kills you in the best way, right? It's like Jesus said, unless it falls to the ground and dies, it won't have any fruit. And so it was that time of really learning to die um, that really I think has made me the worship leader I am today has, has, has allowed the door that have opened in my life to be open. It was because I was just willing to lay down my dreams, lay down my desires, lay down my comfort um, for something greater that, that, that allows me to actually, you know, step into worship. Um, because then all of a sudden when I go on stage, you know, sometimes, you know, <laughs> hands still wet from, uh, from all the sprays and <laughs> like whatever it is, you know, <laughs> like you just, you just go up and, and or it's those times where you just, you just come and you just become so humble. And that's just mm -hmm. what really builds. Like, that's just the greatest attribute of a worship leader is just humility because in the day and age where worship leaders have really become celebrities in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. um, they miss a lot of the anointing that comes from being a servant. Mm -hmm. Um, and and this has been a blessing to become a servant before becoming a celebrity, you know. I love that and, phrase. Uh, and uh, yeah, just allowing the Lord to work in that place. Joseph, quick question, because um, we've heard this criticism by even some good, solid Catholics. The whole idea of uh, it's just emotional worship—that kind of worship is just emotional. You know, it's yeah. worshiping emotions in the name of God. Which, would, what, how would you respond to that? I would say hey, God is emotional. <laughs> You know, like you look at Jesus, he cried, he wept, he laughed, like he mourned, he groaned. Like actually our God is emotional and he created our emotions. And so actually emotions are a really good thing. Emotions are an indicator of something. They're not the end in itself, but it's a sign for something. Mm -hmm. Right? So like if I, if I see a sign leading to Disney World, it helps me get to Disney World. But I'm not going to stop at that sign and say, all right, I'm here. Mm -hmm. You know, because you'll never get anywhere. Right. Like emotions are actually an indicator. Of, of something happening, right? People say worship is just about emotions, it's about feeling, it's about whatever. Well, you know, wor worship is, is actually about a surrender as an offering. And so I can surrender something and like feel really good about that surrender because I feel the presence of the Lord come into me. And that's amazing. I can surrender something and not feel anything and that's also okay because it's it's a sacrifice, right? Worship is a sacrifice. That's why like when, when Abraham sacrificed Isaac, it was the first time worship was used in the Bible because it's a sacrifice, you know? And um, and so if I'm not feeling anything, great, that's a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. I will, like a feeling is an, is an indicator of something, but it's not the end result of something. And so I think right now there, there is a culture of hype around worship. Mm. I think there is, you know, it's, it's a very real thing. Um, for anyone interested, there's there's an amazing book called The Reset. It's by a worship leader named Jeremy Riddle. Um, 
and it's all about it's all I, I, I encourage anyone whether you like worship or just in ministry to read this book because it's all about how ministry in general but worship in particular has has really um, lost a lot of the heart of what it initially was supposed to be mm-hmm. of just ministering to the Lord and has become so much about hype and so, because there's such a market for it is right. the reality. There's like worship music is so popular right now. You know, ministries it's so easy to get hype around figures and in whatever it is that we actually miss the heart of it. And I think in worship, there is a challenge, um, and I see this in really solid um, and well-meaning ministries, um, whether it, like whether you know just non-Catholic Christians or even in the Catholic Church, where everything becomes about a hype, mm-hmm. um, where it becomes more about. Um, where it does become, where the feeling becomes the destination, <laughs> where, um, like, what actually, you know, it's about um, the sounds and the lights and the, everything else is mm-hmm. instead of just like, can we minister to Jesus? And, and I know it's a phrase that might be unfamiliar to some, but really, in the end, it's can we like, <clears throat> it can like, the Lord be our highest priority? Can like giving glory and honor and worth to Jesus be the highest priority? Um, and that's why I'm so blessed by organizations or ministries like Up. There's an organization worship place called Upper Room. It's in Dallas, mm-hmm. and um, and their number one priority is just ministering to Jesus. They didn't release anything, any content, any media, any anything until five years or so into their into their existence. Wow. And even though there's amazing things happening, they're like, we want to make this just pure, and we don't want to do it until Jesus tells us to. And so they just they just waited, and they just made ministering to Jesus the highest priority. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with David in the Old Testament, right? He was told he was going to be a king, but he spent years and years and years just being a shepherd, making songs for the Lord, mm-hmm. just like with that before he had a single platform, right? Yep. And so I think I think my 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 thing is that you know there is there is a challenge. There, there's two sides. One, there's a challenge of not allowing your emotions to be involved in anything, and if emotions are there, it's a bad thing. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. not true, and mm-hmm. that's not Jesus, mm-hmm. because emotions are a really good thing that Jesus demonstrated himself. Um, and then there's the, there's the other side swinging of like making things just about hype or about a celebrity culture or just about, you know, a feeling that something gets. And that's also not supposed to be the case. That's not what we are made for. We are made just to worship Jesus. And in worshiping Jesus, we experience peace and joy and, and goodness because that's like what he actually brings. And, um, and, but that's not, that's not an emotion. That's, that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. I love everything you're saying. And just for our Catholic audience out there, um, as we speak about the aspects of the human person, emotions, heart, mind, body, soul, and the question is, which of these have to do with worship? Go back as far as the second century where St. Irenaeus was addressing major heresies. So the church was trying to articulate what is this doctrine of the Catholic Church, of the faith of Christ. And uh, in the context of addressing these heresies, his fabulous quote, the glory of God is man fully alive, not partially, but fully alive, which of course includes, as you're saying, Joseph, the emotions is a sign as part of this. And, and the challenge also that we aren't worshiping emotions in the name of God. I do think this is a, if you will, a major call for Catholics who maybe are reliant on just doctrine or assent of, uh, of mind, of knowing the truths, that 
there is a need for us to say, Lord, how can you integrate me fully alive? How can I be fully alive, animate myself in the proper order, right, in the proper hierarchy of things? Folks, you're tuned in to Ignite Radio Live with Greg and Stephanie Schleter. And very blessed in this Easter season. Thank you, Jesus, for dying and rising on a, uh, rising on a cross, rising from the dead <laughs> and pouring forth your Holy Spirit that we anticipate you. But you've already done it. We want to claim that, that uh, the Holy Spirit has already been poured forth, is being poured forth in this liturgical season. We're walking with Christ. We have Joseph Schleter, uh, our beloved son, who is a worship leader and uh, sharing with us a bit of his journey and, if you will, the heart of worship, the heart of God's design for us to be a people of worship, which we are meant to do now and through all eternity. So, Joseph, you were sharing with us a little bit, I love that, just recounting the early days of your discovering worship and, if you will, the appointing and anointing of that call to worship and finding yourself in Damascus and being tapped and growing in that the second year, perhaps, where you were more substantially and regularly leading that. Something else seemed to emerge in there, too, as you, let's get back to the story a little bit, where you were um, you know, discovering worship flowing from you in creating worship. When you love someone, it, it's not just contained within yourself. It bubbles mm-hmm. over, right? You know, if I, if I love a person, then, then I, I want to find a way to express that. You know, love without expression is is cutting off part of what love is meant for. You know, like if I love something and I'm not going to be, I don't have a, a means of expressing it, then I'm not actually taking love to its fullest extent. And so I was just in the season of really just learning what it meant to really love the Lord and learning what it meant to actually, um, to, yeah, just live for Him and want more of Him. And the expression mm-hmm. that that overflowed in, in me was song. Um and uh, it, it first started, you know, I was, it was my first year. And it was after, again, just having, at this point, it was about halfway through the year and having a, having like half a year of really just, <laughs> really just dying, learning what it meant to die and, and sacrificing and, and suffering in little ways. And, and, and this song just came forth um, that I wrote for um, a, a retreat that we had in the winter. Um, and uh, it was the first song I ever, it was the first like, worship song that I'd ever really written and finished and did anything with. Um, and it was just amazing. There was just um, an anointing on it. There was just a, the Lord really blessed it and um, caught on and just saw, I started leading with it and saw a lot of, um, a lot of people just really touched by it and encountered the Lord through it. Cause but, songwriting is, songwriting is really, it's, it's, it's worshiping Jesus. It's, it's expressing that love that you have for him, but it's also in the same sense. When people have new context for relationship with the Lord, mm. that is really cool that when I'm writing a song, it's actually framing a new way that people will be able to have a relationship with the Lord. I love that. Um, it's giving language to the heart. It's giving a language to the heart that might not be there, right? Mm. We all know that we hear a worship song and it's like, wow, you're expressing something that actually allows me to enter into the Lord's heart in a new way mm. because I hadn't seen it from that perspective. And so it's just really cool that I was, you know, I was writing and, and people were just entering into a new aspect of the Lord's heart through that. Um, and then, and yeah, and then after that, just beginning to, again, go through seasons of just sacrificing and giving things up to him. And every time I did, there was, there was just a new outpouring of his Holy Spirit, um, that allowed me to engage with his heart in a new way. And so I really began to write more and more and more. And it just became part of, part of a, um, part of just something I, I was doing because I love Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, the stuff would just come to me and it was so humbling um from an from an interior perspective because 
people be like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing and that's so like profound and that's so deep. But really, like, I mean, I, I think it's it's really easy to say that's not me, that's the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but like, it just didn't feel. Well, obviously, you know, if it was the if it was the Lord, it would be perfect, and we'd all probably fall on our faces mm-hmm. and you Beatific know, vision immediately. Right, exactly. Yeah. But like, it, it didn't feel like I, I was doing anything. I felt so humbled in my time with the Lord. Awesome. I'm like, this is this is so you because. I, like these melodies are just coming to me, you know, these words are just coming to me and that's not something I can control. And it was so very evident that it was just like the Lord was just blessing me. Um, and I had like something on me because, you know, it is, it was that season of, there's, there's a great analogy of the dark room um, and uh, that this speaker uses. And she talks about, right, when old, old school photos, right, you take a picture and you it had to be developed in this dark room. You know, they had these pictures and you couldn't see them. You had to put them in like a, mm-hmm. like you had to like place them in water. I know some of you older people might know what I'm talking about. Your grandpa yeah. Wagner was all about yep, that. Yeah, he had a dark room with the chemicals. In the basement. Yep. Right, yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. If, if, if light gets in too quickly, it ruins the picture. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same thing with our lives. The Lord will often put us in seasons where we're in the dark room. Mm-hmm. Um, Great analogy. And it's because, it's because, you know, he knows that if we're exposed to the light too soon, it'll ruin us. And some people are just really impatient with their darkroom seasons. And it's like, okay, I feel like I'm testing and I just want to go out because I have all these dreams and gifts and desires and blah, 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 blah. Great. The Lord sees that, but he wants to develop you. And that's really what he had been doing during my time as like being a missionary. I, I still say I'm in in some sense. Um, but like where where I was just serving and dying and not mm-hmm, really mm-hmm. being exposed much because the Lord just was working on me. That's awesome. He wants to be, he wants to be deeper in us. He wants to have mm-hmm. more of a reach in us than we have outside. There's, there's another aspect to this, Joseph, that we can talk about just to uh, acquaint our audience for those who don't know the story. As Joseph was navigating out of high school, he uh, had a full scholarship to Ave Maria. And uh, he was just saying, mom and dad, I just so much want to go there. And we were saying, son, no, we really think you should do CYSC. You really need to <laughs> do Damascus. Me, right, you really need, because those are your gifts and talents, and it's a context where you're going to cultivate all of these gifts. And Joseph, no, Mom and Dad, it's, it's Ave Maria. <laughs> I, I, I fiercely resist this. And Joseph eventually buckled down and said, okay, Mom and Dad. By the way, folks, I'm being, it's completely opposite. Joseph <sighs> uh, pursued this, first of all, for a year, a step at a time. And of course, as parents, you know, we, we recognize a value of a context of college, right, college to form somebody. And and so the darkness, Joseph, for you, uh, I'm sure you probably agree that when you chose this, you know, you entered into a dark room yourself a little sure. bit. I mean, obviously we saw and valued it. We supported CYSC. We partnered with them. What might you say to those in, as far as discernment is concerned? The biggest question you have to ask at the beginning um, before you discern any of this is that you were made to impact the world. Um, if you don't actually understand that you were made to impact the world, then you'll struggle then then your discernment in college or not college or whatever actually will be based off of you know personal preference or just mm, comfortability it's a great guide and in order to impact the world i need to die so that jesus can live within me even mm. more so where do you where are you going to be able to die is that going to be college is it going to be a missionary program the lord doesn't hide things from us he hides them for us mm. it's like it's like easter sunday right like you know your easter baskets and easter eggs are hidden not from you but for you it's part of the adventure you know it's like it's you're you they're hidden for you to find them and to go on a journey and it's the same thing with discernment to the lord like discernment isn't like something being hidden from us it's like it's a journey because discernment should lead us closer to god that in the process of discerning it actually brings us closer to him fabulous and so 
when you're discerning, you know, it's one, where am I, am I, where am I going to die? And, and then I would say, like, number two, um, where, where am I going to be able to be on mission? You know, because we're all there's a universal call right the post speak of a universal call to holiness and a universal call to mission. That doesn't begin when you're you're out of college and doing mm-hmm. whatever you're doing. It begins the moment you you it's now it's Jesus. here, right? Right. You know whether whether you're six years old or you're sixty years old. You know you have a call to mission. Thank you. Let's go back to the storyline, Joseph, and move us through the very first recording. So you're in a perfect place of all of that happening, and you're getting the validation. So then you come to the point of recording a song, and take us from there into your first experience of seeing that take off. Yeah, so I wrote a song. Uh, this is the song I written for that winter camp retreat. Um, Firefall Heaven Rain is what it was called. And we ended up being in one of our dramas over the summer, which is really awesome. We do a lot of on-stage ministry, um, and we wrote a drama that that was the what I was played in, um, and uh, and so I ended up I ended up recording it shortly after. Just really felt called from the Lord to record it, and so I did that and just kind of was like, God, I'm going to release this, and you do what you want with it. And the response was just so so powerful that so many people were just encountering the Lord through it and were inspired by it and and feeling. Um, just feeling his presence through it. And shortly afterwards, felt called to do it again. How has it proliferated up to this point? It's really, what, two years ago, maybe. What what has been the reach half, yeah. that you know? Have you checked of late? Yeah, I mean, on Spotify, um, it has about 200,000 streams, almost. Um, on wow. Spotify, that doesn't include, you know, Apple or Pandora or wherever people listen to music. Napster is still a thing, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Long live Napster. Yeah, no, there's still there's still people I know who have Napster. Um, but you know, it's it's you know it's at its peak. It was being listened to in in over seventy different countries around wow. the world. Wow, um, which is just crazy because it's like I I can never have that reach on my own. But like, mm-hmm. it's amazing how something so simple as releasing a song is able to impact people literally you know, countries away. Yeah. So it's just really cool that the Lord just takes you. It was just because I said, yes, again, it all comes back to the power of just like a simple mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. I so mean, that's, what Mary, that's what Mary did. It was just a yes. And it's like, I, I, a lot less. Yes, but still a yes. Yeah. The Lord was able to take him bless. Thank you. Looking at the time we have, I want to get us quickly to you connecting with the bigger horizon beyond even Damascus. You have these songs, you've recorded a few, as your music's taking off and you're surrounded by just really good people, the anchor is there and its purpose of being united in Christ and giving him worship. But now in the secular world, I mean, you're, you're getting recognition and uh, you're finding yourself on stages. Tell us the first Phil Wickham, well, actually, let's back it up. You were asked to uh, open up in concert here in Toledo for somebody and then take us through that experience. Yeah, so I mean, I led worship at our parish, um, Joan of Arc, and um, someone was putting on a uh, fundraising concert, and they're having Natalie Grant do it, and um, they asked if we wanted to open, which was really cool. Um, so we got to open for Natalie Grant, me and my sister Grace, and then two friends of mine. Um, we got to go to, uh, yeah, we got to go to the, um, we got to open for Natalie Grant, which is just really cool. Um, it was kind of like a first. It was just like a little thing. I mean. It was, it was it kind of happened and then left and that was that. Um, Phil Wickham, and then oh well, so yeah that started shortly after again shortly after at least my first song or at least the second one. And I just sent it around to a few different people over over Instagram. I was like, hey, this is my new song. We love you. Checked it out. Gave me a thought. Just different people that you know I, I saw or looked up to or whoever. And 
that opened the door to one meeting a guy from a from a label in Nashville who brought me out a couple different times to um to record some songs there to have meetings with with his label and then that turned into a couple of different labels and that also I sent it to Phil and I mean Phil tells the story um for anyone who doesn't know Phil Wickham is is one of the top Christian artists mm-hmm. in the in the Christian <laughs> Christian music industry it's a good um, good godly man yeah he has the, I mean his song right now is is top on the radio and all just really 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 talented guy and he saw this and he tells a story he'll get sent songs all the time and he'll typically try to listen to them because all it takes is just pressing a button and holding up to your ear for a little bit but he says like he started listening to it and immediately put his headphones in because he's like something special about this and, mm. and he says by the end of the song he had tears down his face because they were just really beautiful which song was this um, joseph no distance it's called no distance yeah okay um and so that started kind of a a little bit of a, a relationship with him where we'd connect here and there. He gave me his email and, and probably every like month or so we'd have like a little interaction. And I saw that he was, uh, for, he was having his first live show since COVID in Florida. It was like a three day, three day tour kind of thing. And I was just kind of like, it was like talking to Holy spirit. I'm like, you know, um, what if I like, what if I has to be a part of this? I'm like, I don't know. Worst, <laughs> worst thing that happens. He said, no, mm-hmm. you, know, you are your right. father's son. <laughs> and, uh, and, so I asked, and he got back to me, and he has his tour manager talk to me, and the next thing I knew, I was opening for Phil Wickham, and and uh, and that happened happened again two weeks ago, where we're actually they they just found out they were close to me, and like, do you want to come open for us? And I was like, sure, <laughs> That's awesome. let's do it, and uh, and yeah, I'm heading to San Diego in a couple of weeks, and I get to hang with him and his manager, and so let me pause you, let me pause you a second, so. Um, we were very impressed, Mom and I, just with his, shall we say, countenance acumen, having experienced maybe a lot of big musicians, you know, in certain settings in the past. And Phil is just really, really special, like real this deal. real deal guy. Sincere. And you, you and Mom shared a real love of him before you even made this connection, listening yeah, to his I'm Christmas sure. album and playing mm-hmm. it often. And so, so when you were telling us, you may have, may I think you were even at home when those connections were taking place. And you know, what was interesting from a parent's perspective is it, it felt just really natural. Like there was certainly obviously the natural excitement of somebody who is prominent and has a very accomplished in the top of the, uh, the charts, if you will. But there was a sense of, you know, this is this is beautiful. This is sort of a validation of, of what's right. And also that it kind of was helping to, if you will, carve out your own journey, validate your own, those lights lining your own runway, your own path. Yeah. So just tell us a little bit about your experience with somebody who's well known like that. If you will, you got to experience him a little personally the second time in Dayton. What's the uh, culture like in interacting with him and the crew? Yeah. I mean, he was just, he was, he was the same on stage as he was off stage. You know, he was just so um, fun and personable and intentional and just such a really awesome guy. Um, it was just so cool to, to hear him and, you know, his interest in me. And, and he really he really honored Damascus, too, and mm. just, like, um, you know, went on stage and talked about the cool aspect of having a, a Catholic ministry <laughs> devoted to revival. And, uh, it's awesome. and it, was just, it was just such a blessing that he was able, you know, that, that he just brought me along and I was able to experience that and just his own heart and his um, intentionality. And it's just cool that, you know, like, you know, going to San Diego and him making time to meet with me and, and hang with me and, and all that stuff, which is just really, really Very sweet. beautiful. So Meredith. Yeah. So, um, so I was, I had the awesome opportunity last summer. Um, my uh, boss, Aaron, and I, who's also, he's a musician, songwriter, worship leader. We saw an, an, a face or an Instagram ad or being promoted for this songwriting retreat in uh, in Texas. Um, 
and we saw it early early in the year and it was supposed to be in like April but ended up being postponed to the summer because of COVID. So we went, it was in Houston, Texas. We went and we met these incredible people, Michael and Meredith Malden. Um, and they, they were the ones who started Upper Room, which I mentioned earlier, this ministry in Dallas, Texas, um, that has really become known um, throughout the Christian world as, as really one of the most solid, intentional, consistent um, worship movements in the church. Mm-hmm. And um, they were the ones who were brought in to start it. So they were there for seven years, started it, and ended up, um, ended up she, they just felt called to uh, give it up. And uh, they've been kind of running these different songwriting retreats around the country and just doing different things. So we got to go and we were blessed by them and friendship with them. And and uh, kind of throughout the idea of them coming to Damascus and doing something similar for us. And they said yes. And uh, we got a date on the calendar. And um, usually they do these with like 20, 25 people. Well, we had 85 hours. Wow. <laughs> um, so right. It was a lot of it was Just a few weeks ago, right before Easter, two weeks before yeah, Easter. Yeah. Yep. yep. And uh, it was really cool. The, I mean, it was a lot of logistics to figure out, um, but the Lord just provided for it. And uh, and so they came, and then they brought along um, this guy named Bo Maddox, who's a, one of the top worship leaders at Upper Room right now. Um, and uh, and we all just got, yeah, they just were able to come to our community. And again, it was 85 people there, some Catholic, some not. Um, and all just worship together and write songs together. And, and it was, to this day, still one of the most... Um, unique and just Holy Spirit filled times mm. that I've seen. Um, there were so many testimonies, so many of just the way the Lord worked in, in the, in the people's hearts, whether through songwriting, but a lot of them, even just through the atmosphere that was present. Um, Meredith posted on Instagram later on. She, she talked about, there's, she quoted this verse. Um, I think it's in Psalms. It talks about how pleasant it is when brothers, dwell together in unity mm. and, and how there's like there, it talks about like the fragrance of it and she's like there's just a particular fragrance <laughs> in this place there's a there's an oil in a sense there's an anointing in this, in this place just because of unity um, and yeah the people that were touched I mean there were people who like there were missionaries who were on their retreat who said it was their favorite thing that they had the opportunity to participate in their entire missionary time wow um there were like there were other participants who came who said it was one of the most impactful weekends of their entire life. Um, just so many, so many different testimonies. Then we got closed all together in a night of worship where we had over 600 people um, at Damascus with um, where we got a lead, Damascus got a lead, and Meredith and Bo were able to join us on stage. So it was just so cool. Even that that show of unity of Catholics and Protestants worshiping together and bringing people into the presence of Jesus mm-hmm. together. And then even a couple weeks ago having an opportunity to connect with Meredith and Michael and just debrief with them and follow up with them and, and them just sharing about how blessed they were. That was one of the, just like the biggest blessings that they've ever had um, doing this thing um, and how, how it just transformed their view of the Catholic Church. And there was even um, one of their assistants um, who was there. She, you know, every, every generation except her parents were Catholic. Um, mm. And she just had a lot of struggles with it, with the church because mm-hmm. Of you know just what she what we all see as typical failings in the church of of being engaging and loving people well and and being more than just rules and, and regulations mm-hmm. um, and her just seeing that there was there was <laughs> there was more than two options the two options of either leaving or having to suffer through it but there was this third option of actually a church alive mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. and she's like she's like I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, she's like I'm gonna repent <laughs> she's like I'm like like I'm gonna repent of like this and like just like because I didn't realize that this could actually like the church could actually be good wow. like this. Um, so just the testimonies on both sides of those of the Catholics who were able to just experience 
the beauty of what <laughs> what our Protestant brothers and sisters can bring to our worship and to our to our you know ability to write to the Lord and and on their end, just seeing what actually it looks like for the Catholic Church to not be dead and boring, but like alive and in and, and the spirit. It was just so cool. That's awesome. Um, two things real quick. So, Joseph, you had shared um, right afterwards, too, the great blessing that it was that you guys could all attend Mass together on the Feast of St. Joseph and just how impactful that was and how it was such a gift you know, to be yeah. able to share that experience with them. Um, right. And so I don't know if you want to comment on that in a second, but also is what you're describing too. Uh, we were blessed with this summer with uh, our movement, One Heart, One City, through Mass Impact, where, you know, bringing together in an ecumenical way, you know, going to met the metro parks or whatever and worshiping together like that. And I love um, Greg's, your dad's little line, if you will, that holds so much truth that when Catholics rediscover their evangelical wings and evangelicals rediscover their Catholic roots. We're one church that will be lifting this world whole, to yeah, heaven. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> I messed up the line, no, but that's, that's the good. idea. So Yeah, no, it was so cool. I mean, yeah, having Mass wasn't initially part of the schedule. And then one of the participants emailed me like, hey, somebody of St. Joseph, do you guys have Mass? I'm like, we should have Mass. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yes, so, Joseph. Yes, your patron. <laughs> we reached out to a lot, of, uh, a lot of different priests and couldn't find anyone to do it. And then literally, you know, the night before, a priest came through. Um, and uh, so he came the next day. And, and uh, Aaron gave an amazing just explanation of what the Mass is and um, and why why we have it? Awesome, and, Aaron. You know, and how 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 our Protestant brothers and sisters are able to participate, and and people came up to him afterwards, super blessed by it, mm. and, and um, it was really cool too, even just how the Holy Spirit worked. Because Meredith was talking earlier that morning about Meredith and Michael were talking about just like the power of giving your yes, and and the priest was there, and, and he was just this incredible priest from the Toledo Diocese, Father Kevin Mobius, mm-hmm. and um. And he was just sharing, you know, he was he was honoring them and telling like talking about how much we have to learn from our Protestant brothers and sisters and mm. talking about the Holy Spirit. But his main thing in the homily was like giving your yes to Jesus. And so Meredith came up to me afterwards and she was like, Was he there for our teaching? I'm like, No. She's like, That's so crazy how Holy Spirit like works like that. I'm like, Yeah, it is. <laughs> Even in the Catholic Church. <laughs> you know? So they were so blessed and they just they have a lot of love for us. That's and they have beautiful. a lot of love for them. And we just you know, even just talking yeah. to them, debriefing afterwards and just them sharing their heart and their commitment that. to like helping us and you know wanting to come back. And so it's so cool. Yeah. So, They're drawn to the sacred. They're drawn, if you will, to our roots and, and to an authenticity and a fullness. And I would just say this for any of you all y'all out there listening, that most don't leave the church or stay out of the church because of truth or a rigorous pursuit of truth, per se doctrinal things. Most of them it's they're asking, where's the beef? Where's the life? You know, where's the evidence of the vitality that we profess of God alive in the Holy Spirit? And I'm not just talking about a personality type, charismatic or otherwise, but are we exhibiting the vitality of this life in Christ? And not just, oh, I'm going to choose to be vital, but are we plugged into the heart of Christ such that we can't help but proclaim God's love and live that in a, in a robust way. And let's just keep it real. We're all on that journey of more fully doing that, but that's the church that God gives us and desires that we live a holy community flowing from holy communion anyways off my soapbox joseph we're coming in for a landing just give us a quick snapshot of this moment in time easter season 2001 2021 <laughs> thank you yeah we're going you back a 20 years yeah. so no give us a perspective you, you got some nashville things going on you got there's some label interaction things happening just where are you at right now 
Yeah, so I mean, I'm in conversation with different labels, you know, working on a few different projects, releasing my first song pretty soon from now. Um, or not first song, uh, upcoming song, first one in a while. <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah, really just kind of seeing what the Lord has for me. My biggest heart is just to see, um, see the church worship again. Um, because yeah. I think that worship will revive the church and unite the bride. Mm-hmm. And I just got to see that this that weekend um, with this uh, with song lab with the songwriting retreat, just seeing it revive the church. So many hearts were just so transformed and touched. Aaron, our executive director, is making the comment that he hasn't really ever seen such like a powerful ecumenical event like what mm-hmm. happened during that time, where you know you just had it wasn't about the differences, it wasn't about apologetics and trying to convert someone. It was us worshiping Jesus together and learning from one another because that's, and it, it allowed them to, to go to mass, you know, right, right. it allowed us to, to worship in, in the new freedom. And beautiful. Um, there was just said, yeah, it was just so powerful. And so that's, that's my heart is really, you know, to see um, the church come alive and worship and, and lots of, lots of projects and lots of fun things coming up. But the biggest thing is just wanting to see, um, wanting to see cultures of worship brought back to our church where we're, we're making Jesus the priority over any ministry, mm-hmm. over any feeling, over any program. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just Jesus. So for the first time in your life, you are seriously, have been seriously dating somebody. So you have this iconography, if you will, of the romance of the of God, Ephesians 5, right? God's love for his bride and all of uh, our life is about uh, be, God's betrothing us and that unity with him. And you're, you're partaking of that and, you know, in a relationship here. How is that blessed and benefited if you will, your your appointing and anointing. Yeah, I mean, I think having being in a relationship teaches you so much about your love of God, your love of yourself, and your love of others. Um, that when you're when you are you have another person in your life who you're committed to in some sense, um, it just makes you really it, it grows you in the sense of actually learning how to love, um, learning how to sacrifice. Mm. Um, and leading you close to the Lord, that I'd say through dating, it, it's helped me understand God's heart for me more, my my heart for God more, and my heart for others more. Um, you know, it's just so like I mean, speaking really practically, you know, it's so easy when you're in a relationship when you love someone, like you want to spend time with them, you think about them, you want to talk to them. It's like, okay, great. Do I hunger to talk to God as mm-hmm. much as I do with this person? Do I hunger to spend time with God as much as I do with this person? You know, or just the ways that being in a relationship challenges you and and, and forces you to like confront your own you know fears or insecurities or you know especially dating someone who loves the Lord so much and just mm-hmm. being able to run together and minister together mm-hmm. and be called on by her walk with the Lord and allow my walk with the Lord to call her on um, is just really cool and, and not just in a way I think people say that and like oh yeah like they challenge me in the way they love the Lord but like having specific concrete ways and you know taking conversations like we have like intentional like time every week where we just are able to like talk about hard things or challenge each other or like grow each other, um, which is just really, really cool. um, I love that that. portrait. Yeah, to have that as like a context of growth. We're right now reading through um, this book called Men, uh, or the, I actually don't even remember what it's called. That's embarrassing. (laughs) Um, But it's it's a, uh, uh, um, Ted Sri, that's his name, right? Yep. Okay. My former I'm housemate. I'm just blanking on everything Ted. right now. Yeah. Um, but he, it's his summary of Love and Responsibility by John Paul II. Mm. So through Lent, we've been reading that together and just having awesome conversations there. And, and you know, just talking about mission together. And it was really cool. Even she ended up going on this great retreat last minute. Um, and just the freedom that it brought in her own heart um, was just so cool. And just to be able to walk through stuff like that together um, and share together. And um, 
and just like confront, you know, confront the enemy together in really mm-hmm. cool ways. It's just so powerful. Joseph, I love all that you just shared. It's just a beautiful, authentic portrait. And I just truly, uh, I don't know, brings some light to God's design of man and woman and how it's woven into his plan, the Trinity, the two big words. What are my two favorite words that I taught you when you were one years old? Go ahead, Joseph. There we go. Yes. Boom. <laughs> These are uh, folks who are listening oh right now. The, the the nature of the, the persons of the Trinity. The and they mean yeah. what in English? How, what, what do they mean in English? What what did, uh, ecstatic love dance? There we go. See, that's awesome. I'd have the. I will go another another yeah, subject I was the, another time. I was the only one who did it. Annie always was asleep and jumped all the wood. The other three never got to it. Oh it goodness! So, folks, we are of course image trinity, and uh, that is the 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 sum total of our identity and mission to image the trinity. We are of the fabric of God, who is love and life. We're woven into that, and that's the nature of our movement. We invite you to join us on that journey at ilovemyfamily.us. But so blessed to be with us to be with you during this Easter season and pursuing the heart of God that we wouldn't simply pray thy kingdom come thy will be done but to be instruments of God's answer in the the ways that he gives us that are so close to us our spouse our children our world our work just to see God's desire to claim the kingdom for him Joseph where can you direct our listeners to uh, hear your music uh, anywhere you want anywhere you listen to music sexually Steph I'm not a singer. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's S E P H. Was that Seth. tough for you to say that, Stephanie, Leader. to pronounce that? It was. I'm Anyways, growing, Joseph. Folks, so glad you're with us in this Easter season. Let us celebrate God's glory and lean into it. He wants to do so much in us and through us. He doesn't want to simply be with us in it, He wants to be in us with it. And uh, we're so blessed to be with you. Until next time, God bless you. Joseph, we're proud of you. We love you. Keep pressing on. my soul